there's inclusion, there's exclusion. Now I have a little bit of a story to tell you before the sermon starts. You see that green sign up there? That's the Sydney Evangelical Union. So if you went to UCID and you're a Christian, you go to that group. Now in 2016, the union, the UCID Union for Students, found out that to be a leader in the Christian group, you had to be Christian. And they didn't like that. So we said, oh, it's kind of like, you know, we, we are Christian. That's why we, they have to be kind of Christian. But they didn't say that's good because they say it's excluding to many other people. So there was a day where they said, well, if you don't take it out, we'll have to take you out. So what we did was, all right, we had to all vote, all as a Christian group. We gathered at this room. We all voted and we said, now we're going to keep the policy that you have to be Christian to be a leader. And we were like, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but God is, God is good and God is sovereign. But suddenly it goes out into the media and then everyone was talking about it and the union had to, had to like say, oh, whoops. We'll let you be, we'll let you do what you do because it got out to me then many people were really angry and really offended. And it wasn't just the Christian groups, it was also Muslim groups, Buddhist groups and Jewish groups and whatnot. So you see exclusion as well. And more recently as well, you see this rugby player named Israel Falau, whose cousin went to my school. Israel Falau. Yeah. Israel Falau could not express publicly what he thought. Could not express publicly what he thought. A lot of people will say, you know, he's a bigot and this and that. So there was, he was kind of excluded and you know all the brouhaha in the media about him and him losing his job. So we live in a world where there is a tension. So next slide. Society preaches exclusion while simultaneously preaches exclusion, oh sorry, inclusion and simultaneously preaches exclusion to a people of a particular belief and more importantly, public expression of your faith. Is it true? Public expression of your faith. You see, there is actually a mismatch. That is actually a mismatch. Inclusion and exclusion at the very same time. That does not work. In our passage today, what we just read, what Dorothy just read, there too is a mismatch. And I want you to see that later as we dig into the passage. But before we get into the passage, I want to... Next slide. We have to look at the structure of James. Yes, I need to drink already. So looking at the structure of James, in chapter 1, so if you have your Bibles open, chapter 1 from verse 1 to 27, if you skim through it, that's all the themes that you'll find in the book. All the themes that you'll find in the book from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 5. It's actually a little bit of an introduction. If you do an essay at school, you know, you have all your, who's an English teacher here? You have to have all your stuff in there and then you just expand on it, right? That's the same with James. But more importantly for us today, in the in chapter 2, this is what we want to read for us because it's the most important thing for us to understand when we read chapter 2. So in chapter 1, 26-27, I'll read it out for you. If any think they are religious and do not bridle their tongues but deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to take care of orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So true religion, true faith, what does that actually look like? Chapter 2 will be the expansion of that. But at the heart of it, you go back in verse 22. Verse 22 is actually the reason to why we actually do chapter 2. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to do this sermon so that you could just do. right? There's a reason for why we have sermons and why we listen to the Word of God. Verse 22. 
But be doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if any are hearers of the word and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror. For they look at themselves and going away immediately, forget what they were like. But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevere, being not hearers who forget, but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. Chapter 2 is just an expansion of that. And it also references the law of liberty. So why is this all important? Well, I'll tell you later. Um, but next slide. Uh, also, we want to look at what is actually the world of James. What is the world of James so that we can have a clear understanding of what's going on in this letter? One, the rich is oppressing the poor. So I'll read a quote there by Kina. It's a nice last name, Kina. The, the rich oppressing the poor, in particular economic persecution, was happening in that time. And particularly oppress, the oppression of the poor still happens today. Um, point two, there was also, as you might know, religious persecution against Christians during that time. And more importantly for us to know, the 12 tribes <clears throat> in chapter 1, that is the audience to which James is writing to. So this particularly Jewish audience, very, very Jewish. And lastly, this letter we're reading in James is more of a literary letter said by Peter Davis up there to the scattered rather to a specific person. It's kind of like a tract. So if you've read, um, what's it called, Two Ways to Live? It's kind of like that. It's like a general tract. It's not like your typical Thessalonians, Romans, where there's people's names involved and where there's places and where there's situations. This is a more general tract. And when you read it, you can see definitely it's very general, but it's very hard hitting. Now, let's get into the passage itself. So why is this all important? Because this influences how we read James 2. We are reading a sermon-like section that is broad and was not bound to a specific place or situation that focuses on be doers of the word. That's the focus. Be doers of the word. And verse 1, chapter 2, come with me. Verse 1. Favoritism is a problem and it's serious. And then in verse 2, 7. Favoritism actually looks like this and it is fleshed out by James. Verse 8 to 11, the consequences of favoritism. Uh, bless you. And verse 12, 13 is their response. Now verse 1, favoritism is a problem. Uh, next next slide, yep, favoritism is a problem. Next slide as well. And it's serious. Look at how serious the problem is. Verse 1, my brothers and sisters. I'll stop there for a minute. That means that's a new section. If you read James, my brothers and sisters, my brothers and sisters. New section. This is a new section. My brothers and sisters, do you with your acts of favoritism really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? This is the big idea of the whole passage, if you're writing notes. This is the big idea. My brothers and sisters, do you, with your acts of favoritism, really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? If you show acts of favoritism, I'll tell you what that means later, do you really believe in Jesus? Jesus and favoritism cannot mix. This is the mismatch that I'm talking to you about. Favoritism and Jesus following him cannot mix. It's serious. James is, asked, James is trying to say, guys and girls, if you have favoritism in your church with your acts, do you actually follow Jesus? Do you actually follow Jesus? James would know because he's the half-brother of Jesus. Now, this is a mismatch that I want you to see. The bachelor who has a wife, that's definitely a mismatch, right? And a Christian who is 
who has favoritism is a mismatch as well. Now I want us to go a bit deeper. Not only is favoritism a sin, it's not part of your identity in Christ. It's not a question of behavior, but it's a question of identity. Do you actually believe in Jesus if you act in such a way? Now, now you might be asking, okay, cool. That's very serious. But what does favoritism actually mean? Now, next slide. Now, the big question that you might have, what is favoritism in this passage? It is not these things. Not I like coriander or I don't like coriander. Now, it's not that. It's not like that. My mom doesn't like coriander. Does that mean I have favoritism? No. Sure. Not I like him or her because they drive better. They drive me to church better. They're in the speed limit. I don't spill my coffee when I drive to church, when, they're, when they drive me to church. It's not like that. It's not also I want to be with Bob because he plays good frisbee. It's not like that. Not Reverend Bob. Um, but it's not like that at all. But favoritism here in this passage means this. If you look at the screen, it's up there as well. An active or blatant dishonor slash disregard for a person based on a worldly category like wealth. I'll repeat that again. Favoritism here in James is an active, blatant dishonor and disregard for a person based on a worldly category like wealth. Here it's wealth. There's many other worldly categories we'll look into later, but here in particular, it's wealth. The rich. Now, next slide. John Piper has a really good definition as well that complements our definition. He says here, I'm not going to do a Piper impersonation. First, at first, partiality in verse 1, or favoritism, that's what the Americans like to use, partiality, verse 1, means that you base your treatment of someone or your attitude towards someone on something that should not be the basis of how you treat them. That's really important. I'll repeat that again. First, partiality in verse 1 means that you base your treatment of someone or your attitude towards someone on something that should not be the basis of how you treat them. John Piper. Now, let's look at what this actually looks like in verse 2 to 7. Now, let's go to verse 2 to 7. I'll read it out for us. For if a person with gold rings and fine clothes comes into your assembly, and if a poor person in dirty clothes also comes in, and if you take notice of the one wearing the fine clothes and say, have a seat here, please, while to the one who is poor, you say, stand there or sit at my feet. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith? And to be heirs of the kingdom that he promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who oppress you? Is it not they who drag you into court? Is it not they who blaspheme the excellent name that was invoked over you? It's very serious. Now I want us to see the severity of the problem through the contrasts James makes. There's contrasts here. Next slide please. Yep, and then the next slide. There is a contrast. First, when you read assembly, that's not your school assembly. That's not where the principle comes in. It's not just a random gathering of people. Assembly can be translated as synagogue. That means that's where the Jews met for prayer, and it also acted as a law, community law court. It's kind of like the town center of that day. It was the synagogue. 
which serve both as a house of prayer and as community courts. Look at the table that I did there. For the science people, you're like, yep, I'm at home. Here's the table up there. Rich, this is what the congregation says. Have a seat. And what do they wear? Gold rings, fine clothes, Gucci, 18 carat, 24 carat, right? Pearls. I don't know my other brands. (laughs) To the poor, they say, stand there or sit at my feet. Now, why is sit at my feet bad? Isn't that just like what they do in Sunday school? Sit at my feet. Right? Or you know your dog, yeah, yeah, sit at my feet. Why is that important? Why? Because feet was dirty in the ancient world. Remember, this is the ancient world. There was not asphalt. There was poo all over the 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 place because of horses or cows. They probably were farmers. It was dirty literally the word dirt e. And it was associated with dishonor. That's why when we read in John that Jesus washed Peter's feet, that's amazing. Because how the Son of God lower himself so that he can wash his disciples' feet. And more importantly, in the Old Testament, God puts his enemies under his feet. It's a place of dishonor. And Jesus as well puts his enemies under his feet, 1 Corinthians 15. It's a place of dishonor. And this congregation, hypothetically, James is trying to say, oh, if you're poor, yeah, you sit under my feet because you're poor. But if you wear Gucci, yeah, you sit up in the front. You see how that is a bad thing already in itself. But there's also more layers to see in this problem in James 2. Next slide, please. There's actually another layer that we should see. And I'll read a quote there by Keener in 1993. Jewish legal texts condemn judges who make one litigant stand while another is permitted to sit. These hearings normally took place in synagogues. To avoid partiality or favoritism, on the basis of clothing, some second-century rabbis required both litigants to dress in the same kind of clothes. So remember, this is not just a random gathering. This is acted as a law court. So James is trying to say, if you, like like a judge, judge these people on the basis of these things, you have made distinctions. Now, the practice of the day actually was this. If you were a judge... You were, by, by the law, by here, by custom, required that both of your, the people that you're going to judge, wear the same clothes so that you don't get biased on your judgment. That's pretty cool. So that you can actually have true justice happen. But what does the assembly here in James 2 do? They judge on the basis of outward appearance. Or more importantly, they judge on the basis of riches and wealth. You can definitely kind of see now, right, that this is not Christian behavior at all. This is not, not, not only sin, it's not who we are as Christians. This is very serious. Now, verse 5 to 7, James amps up, escalates his argument. Look in verse 5. Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters. It's like a sermon, right? Listen. Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith, to be heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who oppress you? Is it not they who drag you into court? Is it not they who blaspheme the excellent name that was invoked over you? 
see there, right? It's a question and a matter of who you actually reflect. Do you reflect God's heart? Who in the Old Testament constantly had provisions in the law for the poor, for the widow, for the oppressed? And doesn't this sound like the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are the poor. Because this is James. He heard this with Jesus, right? He was there. God chose the poor. God regards the poor. He regards them to be rich in faith paradoxically. They might be poor in this earth, but they're rich in their faith. And the poor have an inheritance. They actually own land. They're better than people in Sydney because we can't afford land. It's so expensive here. But they actually have an inheritance, a kingdom to those who love him. But what about the rich? You act more like the rich, you James people, you people in those assembly. You have dishonored the poor. Is it not they who oppress you? Is it not they who drag you into court? Is it not they who blaspheme the excellent name that was invoked over you? Just read the book of Acts. Who oppresses the people? Who oppresses the Christians? The rabbis, the synagogue leaders, the rich, Herod, the people like Gallio, the proconsul in, in um, Acts 18. All the riches are the ones that are oppressing these Christians. So what is James actually trying to say? Is he saying that being rich is a sin? Definitely not. He's trying to say, who are you more imitating? Who are you imitating? The persecutors or God? Well, it looks like you guys are actually imitating the persecutors of the church with your actions in your words. What if I said to you this? You act more like a North Korean persecutor at church lunch. I'd probably not be seen in church for the next two years. right? What a scandal. But, in some sense, in James 2, the assembly was acting more like the people that actually persecuted them. See how it's not necessarily a behavioral issue, it's an identity issue. It's an identity issue. And it's serious. Now, next slide, please. I want to tell you a little bit of a story. True story. It's up there in the screen. Um, that's in a place called Berkeley. So the past five, six years, I went to this place called Berkeley for my EU, uh, the Evangelical Union up in Union. We do a mission every year. And I went to Berkeley for the past like four or five years, every December. And there's this guy, the not the red wearing shirt guy, but the other guy. His name is Slick Rick. His name is Slick Rick. And I've known him for five, six years now, and he's great. Now, a little bit of background on that church. That church is not like our church. It's a shed, and the church is bankrupt, and another church supports them. Berkeley is a low socioeconomic place. People there have, don't have jobs, 50% unemployment, high levels of domestic abuse, and substance abuse. So that's the church shining that light in that area. Now, Slick Rick is actually, the, some sense, the functional assistant minister. He doesn't have a job. There's only one minister. There's no other workers in the church. There's another There's another kind of like assistant, but Rick kind of does everything else besides what the minister does. That's Slick, that's Slick Rick. A little bit about Slick Rick as well. He doesn't have a job. So what he wears is what always he wears. So he's very, very happy to see you all the time. And we have a good chat. He'll have a good smoke. He's always there for you. Now, I think it was last year. So this was the senior minister telling me all these things. So it's not, not Slick Rick. So the minister was telling me this. He was like, oh yeah, you know St. Andrew's Cathedral up in Town Hall? Yep, you've been there? You, you work in Town Hall as well? That sandstone building next to the slow light rail? Right there? 
hey, I can walk quicker. Um, there's, there's a St. Andrew's up there, right? They had their 200th anniversary. It's like one of the first churches in the whole country. So their Anglicans, you know, had their own like celebrations and whatnot. And they asked all the, all the parishes and dioceses to send representatives, yada, 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 you know, formalities and whatnot. So all these ministers were up there. And guess who Berkeley sends to St. Andrews? Slick Rick. Now, he didn't really dress in the formalities and the suits and the ties that the people were wearing up there. He's dressed, he dressed like this because that's all he has. He trained it from Wollongong at 4 a.m. in the morning just to get to town hall by the right time. And this is what Wayne sadly said to me. No one talked to Rick. No one talked to Rick. Every time I hear that story, it breaks my heart. Now, I don't know what happened up there totally. I don't know what he did, but it happened. No one talked to Rick. I'm not saying it's the same exact situation you see in James 2, but it's scarily close, isn't it? No one talked to Rick. I don't know what went into their hearts. Is it because what he dressed? Is it because what he said? Maybe he smoked outside? I don't know. But Rick went there without anyone talking to him, and he went back to Wollongong saying that same thing to Wayne, the minister, and Wayne was not necessarily the happiest senior minister in the world. Yeah, so it can happen as well today. These things that you see in James 2. Next, next slide. Now, this opens up a reflection on our society and our culture, and maybe personally, individually as well. Now, some categories that we might use, that we might have, that we might actively disregard people, not passively, but actively, that we might have. Rich, poor, that still might happen. It was way more prominent in the ancient world. But what about these other categories? Successful slash lazy. Oh, he didn't get a band six. Oh, he was lazing around playing Call of Duty or playing Dota or whatever. Warcraft. That's a bit old. But yeah, right? You see, maybe we might have these categories. Successful and lazy. Or, this is the more harsher one that I have heard before. Smart and dumb. I know, I know a person who's fessed up to me and said, Oh yeah, I really only like to hang out with smart people. Or what about the quote, quote, dumb? Or, I've seen this as well, righteous, sinful. I don't wanna, I don't wanna associate with those people, you know, they, they get, they get wasted, they, they do this, they do, they smoke. You know, I, I'm here wholesome me, up here. Or, I've also seen this, Solid Christian, immature Christian. Do we actively disregard people that we think might be, quote, quote, solid or, quote, quote, immature? I'm not going to say this is this, this is that, but I want to put, the, put it out to you as, a, as categories for reflection in our hearts. Now, you might be saying, well, then how do I know that I actively do this? How? Next, next slide, please. Some questions to consider. Number one, do I actively treat a person purely based off a worldly category? Purely, not anything else. Purely from a from a worldly category, like riches, 
righteousness or whatever, like the, the categories that I just said in the previous slide. Do I treat a person like that? Maybe sometimes you do, maybe sometimes I do. Number two, do I see the weakness of a person rather than the person? See, there's a, there's a distinction. Do I see that person as the smoker, the babbler, the gossiper? Or do I see that person as James, Matt, that person? What do you see first? Because in our society, right? Oh yeah, you're the liberal. Oh yeah, you're the you're the labor one. You're the greenie. You're the lefty. Have you forgotten their names? <laughs> They've got names. They're people too. Do we see them as people or weakness or definition? Thirdly, why do I treat person A different to person B? Be very honest. Why do I do that? Now, I do that all the time, right? And to my shame, I have favorites. Now, I did an MTS for the past two years. I reflected on this on this verse, and I actually had favorites. It, it's very shameful, and it's not good. But I think as humans, that's our tendency, isn't it? Be honest. Number four. When was the last time I talked or went out of my way for someone so different to me? Someone very different. Someone of the different culture, different standing in life, different background, different abilities. When was the last time I went out of my way to talk to someone? And lastly, and more importantly, as a question of identity, does my action actually reflect Jesus' character? Does my actions reflect Jesus' character? which we will look at in later as well, in relation to favoritism. Some questions for us to consider. Now, verse 8 to 11, let's continue with this, with what James is trying to say. Now, the consequences of favoritism. Favoritism happened, cool. It happened in their congregation. What are we going to do about it? So the consequences of favoritism, verse 8 to 11. He goes back to the law. So if you go to the next slide, please, thank you. You do well. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, quote, quote, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For the one who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but if you murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. See there. Not only is the behavior aspect there, you have sinned. The identity aspect is you have become a what? A transgressor. A transgressor. Someone in the Old Testament, if you are a transgressor, meant that you will cut off from God's people. You will cut off. James is trying to say, this is how serious this is. You have become sinners, guilty of transgressing the standard to which God had set for this world, for his universe. And look at what he says, right? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Good. If you do that, great. Good on you. But if you commit this other sin, well, it's as good as, well, it's as good as nothing. You committed sin against the whole law. It's not about keeping this little bit, then this other bit, then this other bit, but keeping this big bit, 
It's about keeping the whole bit, keeping the whole law. Now, James actually, in verse 11, this is very interesting when I read in the commentary, in, in, in verse 11, the, the, what's it called? The choice of the commandments is not random, it's intentional. Look at the choices he makes. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder. Why murder? Because in the ancient world, if you deprived a poor person of justice, that person might actually and will probably die. If you take justice from that person, they might not have their cow, they might not have the thing that they have, things that, that they have would, that would have been taken from them. It's easy for them to might have starved to death, had to get sick, or maybe taken into slavery and maybe have died. If you have partiality, that's what might actually happen. You have become sinners. Now, it's not all doom and gloom. In verse 12 to 13, there is, in some sense, some application for them to to see. In verse 12 to 13. Next slide, please. Verse 12 to 13. So, what are you to do then? So, James is a very good sermon guy. So, speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. Verse 13. For judgment will be without mercy to anyone who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That sounds very confusing. What does that actually mean? Well, let's break it down a little bit. What is the law of liberty? Remember in chapter 1, we already mentioned. The law of liberty was already mentioned. That's the standard to which James is saying, do this. Do this. Now, the law of liberty was actually summarized to us in verse 8. The law of liberty is to love your neighbor. That's a summary of the whole law. Right? The whole law. Their treatment of others... Is put in light of eternity. Look in verse, look in verse thirteen. So besides the law of liberty, the treatment of others is put in light of eternity. Look at it. For judgment, judgment will be without mercy to anyone who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Anyone who does not love their neighbor, there will be judgment, according to this law of liberty. That might be a bit confronting, but that is the truth. We will be judged by this law according to this liber- according to the law of liberty. So let us speak and act in accordance with the law of liberty, which is to love your neighbor, to which we will be judged. Speak and act. It's not about walk. It's not about just talking, as they say. Right? You walk the talk. Speak and act in accordance with the law of liberty. Speak. What does your words reflect? Does it reflect favoritism? And does your actions reflect favoritism? I don't know your life. I don't know your circumstances. But what comes out of your heart or your mouth is an indication of what's in your heart, as Jesus said. And what you do is based on what you think about things. That's why we study doctrine. That's why we study theology. Because it's important. It reflects who we are. Now, big question. Big question. Next slide, please. But isn't this salvation by works? That was my question when I was doing this, this um, the preparation, and I got, big, got really stuck. But my friend here, John, he doesn't know me, but my friend here, John Piper, my friend here, John Piper, has a really important quote, and I think it's so helpful for us to understand. You probably can't read it, so I'll just read it out to you very slowly. Okay, so isn't this what Paolo's preaching, salvation by works? Should we take him out of the pulpit? Before you do that, 
This is what Piper says, and this is what I agree with in what he says. Quote, And we will be judged under this law of liberty. If we have not loved, we will perish. This is the real thing. Because there will be no evidence that we are born again and justified by faith. Can I repeat that again? And we will be judged under this law of liberty. If we have not loved, we will perish. Because there will be no evidence that we are born again and justified by faith. So you can see that James and Paul, this was a different sermon. James and Paul put partiality based on riches and race in the context of your eternal judgment. This is not a light thing. How we treat others is the evidence of our relation to Christ. That's why in verse 1, do you really follow Jesus? Do you really trust Jesus if you have these favoritism acts that you have? How we treat others is the evidence of our relation to Christ. If we have been set free from sin condemnation and dominion by Christ, then we live in liberty. And this liberty, there is a law, paradoxically enough, the law of liberty. That is the law of love. The law of love. And this law says, do not show partiality on the basis of races, race or riches. The law of love. At the end of the day, it's not that complicated, isn't it? You love others just as God loved you. Now speak and act. What will what will your look, week look like? I don't know. You might have a busy week. You might have a very easy week. But this is my encouragement for all of us. Speak and act in love. Speak and act in love. Now, that can play out in many practical ways, right? How you treat your wife, your husband, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your brother, your sister. People that are different to you. You know, especially on the train. That's the test, I think. That's the test. The train. Everyone has a peeve on the train, right? You know those people that play out loud? Their, their videos and it's like banging on the carriage and it's like 6 o'clock in the morning. How will we view those people? Or those people that talk very loudly on the train? Or in my line, the trade is at 6 o'clock in the morning. They, um, they can be very, very rude. And it can be very hard sometimes to be like, yep, Jesus loves them too. Will I treat them as God treats them because I follow Christ? Or will I treat them on the basis of, well, I earn more than them. What will we do? But now, will I, I will not finish this sermon without looking at the glorious, it says in verse 1, glorious Lord Jesus. Next verse, oh sorry, next slide please. It's up there. Jesus had no worldly favoritism because you are saved. I want to look at some examples in the Gospels about the personhood of Christ. The other, the first image, the one about the woman kneeling down, that's Mary Magdalene. Remember Mary Magdalene? She was a prostitute. The Pharisees were about to get stoned. Stone her. Oh, oh, Jesus says, let the one who has no sin cast the first stone. And they all left. And then Jesus says to Mary, your sins are forgiven, sin no more. For Jesus to speak to a woman, but more importantly a prostitute during the day, would have been absurd. But he did it anyway. Next one is Bartimaeus in Mark 10. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Outside the wall of Jericho. 
Now, firstly, he was outside the city. No one likes him. He was on the floor. He was blind. That would have made you incapa- incapacitated to, to work. No Centrelink. No NDIS. You're pre-screwed. But what does Jesus do? He, he, re- he reflects his character of love and compassion. And he heals Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus says, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And Jesus does. Mark 10. Now, you might be saying, well, isn't it favoritism if Jesus just did the poor? Talk to the poor and the marginalized? Well, Mark 10 as well. He talked to a rich man. Remember that? Mark 10. The rich man goes up and says, oh, Jesus, I've obeyed all these things from my youth. This, this, and this, and this. How can I achieve eternal life? Jesus says, you lack one thing. And what, did, what does Mark say, what Jesus said there? He looked at him and he had compassion on him. Jesus says, give your treasures to the poor and follow me. Jesus had compassion on all different rings of society. And more importantly for us, you might be rich, you might be poor, you might be smart or according to the world that is, you might be dumb. You might have had broken relationships, you might have had all these different things, mess in your life, sickness, you might have sinned against God and others that we don't know and that you have secrets in your heart. But that does that matter? Does that matter before God? Absolutely not. Because he saved you. Now that's the ultimate non-favoritism that Jesus had for the whole world. If you look around, we're all different here, isn't it? Now, some might say all Asian. But we're all different. Jesus saves different people. Jesus saves different people because he cares and he loves. Now, if you don't know Jesus yet, if you don't know Jesus yet, and you want to know more about this person who actually loves you, my encouragement is talk to the person who brought you here and talk to me. But my encouragement for you as well, if you don't know Jesus and you've come here today, today here, my encouragement is that Jesus loves you not because of you are this, you are this, but because he loves you because of you. He loves you because of his character. It's not about anything else, but because of who he is. And that's great news. That's why the gospel is called good news to the poor, to the sick, and to everyone, to all nations. So my encouragement for us today is, if we follow the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, we can then love others who are different to us with no favoritism. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that today we can stand here as your people from different backgrounds, different things in life that we, we have that we have that we have carried into our faith. But that doesn't matter. Because you loved us and you saved us because of your character of grace and love. Father, that as we continue in your spirit and in your grace to follow Christ, help us to follow him who had no favoritism, for it does not belong to our character. Father, convict us when we do sin this week. But Father, remind us as well that this glorious Jesus came to save us so that we can now live in the law of liberty, the law of love, that we can love others, that we can include. And Father, I pray that you might be honored and glorified as we, your church, do this this week and forevermore until the Lord Jesus comes back. Amen.